So praise the Lord. Thank you, worship team. Take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. Matthew 18 and verse 21. This is a very familiar portion of Scripture. Matthew 18, beginning with verse 21. In his book, Maximum Impact, Wayne Mack shared an account he heard from Jay Adams, who tells of a couple who came to him because their marriage was falling apart. The wife had been advised to come because she had developed an ulcer that had no apparent physical cause. When Jay asked the woman what was bothering her, she plopped a notebook down on the desk with page after page filled with things that her husband had done wrong for the last 13 years. That woman had done the very thing that God says we shouldn't do. She had literally kept a detailed record of the real or imagined wrong she had suffered, and it was ruining her health, her disposition, her marriage, her relationship with the Lord, and her usefulness in life. Now, there is more to this story. Apparently, the husband had sinned against his wife 13 years previously. He had offended her and didn't realize it. And so she failed to confront him and hopefully uh, shown mercy and forgiveness. Instead, she just decided to brood about it over all of those years, which led to all sorts of spiritual and physical problems. And let me just say this right up front. This happens more often than you think it does. I've had to deal with this a number of times. And this is one of those passages I keep coming back to, to help folks who struggle in this area. Well, in our passage for today, Jesus did address the importance of forgiveness through this wonderful parable that I want us to see in verses 21 through 35, through the end of the chapter. So follow along as I read, okay? Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had and repayment to be made. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. But the slave, that slave, went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii, and he seized him and began to choke him, saying, Pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you. But he was unwilling, 
and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. And may God add his blessing to the reading of his word. This passage comes in the middle of a context which begins back in verse 15 where Jesus gave instruction on church discipline, how, how to address a sinning brother. But the subject seemed to linger on in the mind of Peter because he asks Jesus the question of verse 21. Then Peter asked or came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? It's possible that what drove him to inquire about this matter was the rabbinic tradition of the day, which stated that a person could be forgiven up to three times, but not four. So Peter was, I think, being somewhat big-hearted and safe by offering up to seven times. At least he probably thought so in his mind. Jesus, however, gave a surprising answer to him there in verse 22. What does it say? I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Simply that your willingness to forgive should be limitless. That's what he was telling him. So much more than just seven times, which Peter thought was great. No, Jesus is saying that our forgiveness should be limitless. And I would say that this was probably overwhelming for Peter's heart. So Jesus goes on to share this parable to explain why in the following verses. And so, beloved, I ask you this question. Do you struggle with forgiving others? Ask yourself that this morning. Do you struggle with forgiving others? Maybe someone has come to you a number of times seeking forgiveness, but you are starting to harden your heart because you don't believe they are sincere. Maybe someone has offended you, but they didn't know it. And you hold a grudge against them which has developed into bitterness. And now you're living miserably with an unforgiving spirit. Sort of like the story I read to you at the very beginning. Nothing the other person does is right because you're taking into account a wrong suffered. Well, certainly God is not pleased with this as we see clearly from this text. Even the Apostle Paul address this matter in Colossians chapter 3, our scripture reading for today, right? In verses 8 to 13, God is not pleased with that kind 
of heart. And so I want to challenge you this morning to be ready to forgive. This is what Jesus is challenging not only Peter, but to his listeners to have a heart that's ready to forgive. And I'm going to give you three simple reasons, all right? Three simple reasons from this text as to why you should be ready to forgive. And I trust that God, through His Spirit, will bring these truths, these reasons to your heart and mind as needed. And let me tell you, you will need them. Because our flesh sometimes takes control. And we're not obeying the Lord. And so these truths need to be in our hearts. I want you to go... Are we okay? Oh, okay. Good enough. I didn't know what I was going to do there for a moment. I mean, uh, I was calling down heaven on this, huh? Yeah. Well, the devil's not going to have his way this morning. The Lord is. And so I trust that the Lord will use these to keep your heart humble before him and before others. Let's look at these three reasons. And the first one is there in verses 23 to 27. I want you to hear what is said by our Lord is he continued to tell this parable. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had and repayment to be made. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him saying, have patience with me and I will repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. What's the first reason that is very clear in those verses that we just read. It's this. You are to be ready to forgive because you have been forgiven much. That's right. You are to be ready to forgive because you have been forgiven much. And I mean much. What you notice right away there in verse 23 is that Jesus was making an analogy between the kingdom of heaven, what God does, and a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. And then he moves on in verses 25 to 26 to describe a slave who owed him 10,000 talents. One talent was 15 years of wages. We're talking here about 150,000 years of wages being in debt. I made the mistake in the first service of saying 150 years. No, we're talking 150,000 years in debt this man was. Now you might be saying to yourself, why would that king allow this to happen? We don't know. Jesus doesn't give us the reason. It's not important. What is important here is that this debt cannot be paid back. It's impossible. Let's just put this in today's figures. If a person was working 40 hours a week at $15 an hour, 150,000 years would come to be $4,680,000,000. (laughs) Yes. In other words, this was impossible to pay back. 
And like I said, this is what Jesus was emphasizing. Even if the king sold the slave, his wife, his children, and all that he had, it still would come up far short. It wouldn't even be near that. It would be impossible. And so I love what happened next in verse 27. Look what it says. And the king of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. That king demonstrated great compassion. Did he not? It's great compassion. It's a big wow. I mean a big wow. (laughs) 150,000 years of debt in wages. My, oh my. He gave him what he did not deserve, and that was what? Grace. That's what he gave him, was grace. Think about it. It's kind of good to put this in perspective, isn't it? It sure is. And so we need to stop here just for a moment and apply what Jesus was trying to convey to Peter. Like the king, God has forgiven us much, has he not? He's forgiven us our sin debt that was impossible for us to pay. And yet people today are trying to pay for their sin debt, are they not? Yeah, they'll, they try to do works. Yeah, they'll try to do penance, try to do sacraments, all of these things to pay back that debt. But they can't. It's impossible. In fact, our sin debt before God was far more than $4,680,000,000. That's a drop in the bucket. Our sin was great before God. And yet Jesus was the one who paid for it on our behalf. Isn't that what 1 Corinthians, I should say 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21 says? He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. This is something for us to dwell upon this morning and to think about because when we do, our hearts grow in love for our Savior. When we understand the huge sin debt that we had and Christ forgave us. And so by grace, in humble faith, we pleaded for mercy and were lavishly pardoned. Isn't that what it says in Ephesians 1, 7 and 8? Huh? Some of my two favorite verses because in that first chapter of Ephesians, Paul is talking about the blessings that we have as Christians. And this is one of them. In Him, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished on us. He lavished on us. And so where sin abounded, grace abounded more. That's what Ephesians 5, 12 to 19 teaches us. This morning... Think about your sin debt, which has been forgiven. You have been forgiven much. Our sin debt is a drop in the bucket. Or I should say, 
what it says here in this passage of Scripture about 150,000 years of wages is nothing compared to our sin debt against God. And so since you and I have been forgiven much, and I do mean forgiven much, may we be ready to forgive. I mean every time without hesitation. And if there is hesitation, we should be examining our hearts and saying, why? I mean, really? Aren't you thankful this morning that your sin debt has been forgiven? Huh? It was huge. You can't measure it. And there's nothing that you or I can do to gain pardon. Jesus did it all for us on our behalf. Praise God. Praise God. So be mindful of that today as you leave here. And as you interact with others who may hurt you, and they will, remember, you have been forgiven much, so you should forgive much. (laughs) Right? Amen. Well, that brings us to another reason there in verses 28 to 33, because Jesus continues on in this parable. And I want you to see this. He says, but that slave, the one whose debt had been forgiven, released, canceled, went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And he seized him and began to choke him, saying, pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, have patience with me and I will repay you. But he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? We'll stop right there. What's captured there? It's simply this. You are to be ready to forgive because others' sins against you are trivial compared to your sin against God. That's right. Let me repeat that. Others' sins against you are trivial compared to your sin against God. Jesus went on to say in verse 28 that as soon as that slave was forgiven of his debt and released by the king, he went and found a fellow slave who owed him 100 denarii and demanded repayment. I mean, he was ruthless here. Look what he says there in verse 28. And he seized him and began to choke him, saying, pay back what you owe. That's almost unimaginable. I mean, really? How could he do that? But he did. Now, a hundred denarii was about four months of wages. One denarii was one day's wage. So it came to approximately four months of wages or $10,000 in today's workforce. Yeah, again, with the same schematic I gave you before, working 40 hours a week at $15 an hour, about $10,000. 
Now, this was no small amount. I mean, we're talking $10,000. But it was trivial. Let me stress that. It was trivial compared to what the first slave owed the king. And yet he refused to show mercy and threw his fellow slave into prison. I think it's interesting there in verse 29 how the fellow slave had the same prayer, had the same cry for mercy as the first slave in verse 26. You would think that when he heard that prayer or that plea, something would have triggered in his mind and he would have thought, oh, I did the same thing. So maybe I should do this. No, he didn't. Not at all. Therefore, it's no wonder here that the other slaves of the kingdom were grieved as it says there in verse 31. I believe this represents God's people. God's people of the kingdom. They could not understand how the first slave could be so hard-hearted after he had a huge debt pardoned, canceled. I mean, it was a magnanimous debt. Huge! And so they told the king who responded as we see there in verses 32 and 33. Look what it says. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? I mean, the obvious answer from that slave should have been what? Yes, absolutely. Why not? (laughs) No, it didn't happen. And not to do so means there was something wrong with his heart. And we're going to talk more about that here in a few moments. So once again, let's just stop here and make some application. You know, beloved, you and I have hurt God infinitely more by our sin than any person has hurt us, right? Haven't we hurt God far more than any person has ever hurt us? That's right. I mean, think about your past sin before you got saved. You can't even count. We were sinning every day. (laughs) Many times throughout a day. And then upon being saved, we still continue to sin, right? And we will continue to sin on into the future. I mean, Jesus doesn't say, well, you know what? You've come to me several times about this one sin. Over and over and over again. You just don't have it together. When you do, why don't you come to me and then we'll talk about forgiveness. Do you ever hear that from Christ? No. He's made provision for our cleansing and salvation through salvation. We've been saved from what? Past, present, and future sin. Aren't you thankful for 1 John 1, 9? If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I just love that verse. It doesn't matter how often I hurt the Lord. When I come to Him, He will forgive me. 
We have hurt God far more than any person has ever hurt us. And yet, we feel we have the right not to forgive. We've developed a hard heart. Well, beloved, there's no reason why we cannot forgive others whose sin is trivial compared to our sin against God. Look with me at what it says in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. I want to look at verses 31 through 5 and verse 2, but I want you to understand that this passage of Scripture is built upon what comes before it, especially what it says in verses 20 through 24. We are believers in Christ. We've embraced the message of salvation. And so what we're going to see here in verses 31 and following is what should characterize a believer. Look what it says. 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Therefore, based on what I just said, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Yes, as believers, we are to be ready to forgive because others' sins are trivial compared to our sin against God. And he forgives us over and over and over again. Just to give you some perspective, I want you to listen to this story about Walter Everett. He was a Methodist pastor in Hartford, Connecticut. When Michael Carlucci was convicted of manslaughter for shooting Everett's son, the bereaved father set an example that challenges us all who claim Christ as Savior. Walter said he forgave Michael because people won't be able to understand why Jesus came and what Jesus is all about unless we forgive. Was that mere rhetoric? Not in the least. Michael became a believer while in jail. And when he was released and wanted to be married, guess who did the ceremony? Walter did. May God grow and help us to be ready to forgive like that. Yeah. That's putting it in perspective, isn't it? We are to be ready to forgive because we've been forgiven much and because others' sins against us are trivial compared to our sin against God. Two solid reasons that Jesus is sharing here why we are to be ready to forgive. And yet there's one more. Look what he goes on to say in verses 34 and 35 of this parable. And his Lord, moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. What is clear 
here. What's another reason? It's this. You're to be ready to forgive because God judges those who don't forgive. That's right. God judges those who don't forgive. Now, I need to tell you that there is no shortage of comments on these two verses. There's a lot. And yet it's clear that there is judgment from God for those who do not forgive. Okay, that is clear for sure. The question here is whether it is referring to a professing believer who is really not a true brother and therefore receives eternal judgment or a hard-hearted believer who receives chastening from God. Now, for me personally, I tend to lean toward the former for three reasons. Number one, because of what it says in verse 17. You cannot extract this parable from the instruction that went before us on church discipline. Because notice what it says there in verse 17. If he refuses to listen to them, this is a man who refuses to repent, Tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and tax collector. Let him be treated as an unbeliever. I also believe he's speaking here about eternal judgment and that this is a professing believer who is not a true brother because of what it states there in verse 34. It seems to indicate eternal judgment because notice what it says. And his Lord, moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. There is no way he's going to pay that back. It's impossible. I mean, we were just thinking about the talents for a moment. 150,000 years? It's not going to happen. So I believe he's talking here once again about eternal judgment. And then also, notice what Jesus said earlier in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. This is part of the Sermon on the Mount. For if you forgive others their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Now, that's the position I take. Does that make me right? No. (laughs) Okay. There are good men, all right, on both sides of this matter. I just take the position that I just told you about, but that does not make me right. But one thing is certain, though. Forgiveness is characteristic of true faith. No doubts about it, all right? That's indicated even by this warning that forgiveness is characteristic of true faith. Since you belong to Jesus who has forgiven you, you will have a heart to forgive. Just as I read earlier from Ephesians chapter 4 through the first part of chapter 5. That's taught right there in that passage of scripture. Also listen to these words from 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verses 18 to 20. Now all these things are from God 
who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Clearly, in this passage of Scripture, Paul is telling us that we are what? Ministers of reconciliation. In other words, what he's teaching there in that passage of Scripture is that we've got the gospel message. And we take and share that gospel message, which reconciles lost people to God, right? But if we've been reconciled to God, then we should be what? Reconciled to others. God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. In fact, it pictures, when we reconcile with others, it pictures the gospel and us being reconciled to God. That's why this is so important. Today, in reading the newspapers, you see divorces taking place because of what? irreconcilable differences. Have you ever seen that in the paper? Oh, I have a number of times. Just go and read the statistics. You you, you see them in the paper. And that's the reason they'll give. These people have ended their marriage because of irreconcilable differences. That should not be amongst Christians, right? I mean, it's almost an oxymoron. (laughs) To not be reconciled with my brother... Really? When we've been forgiven much? When our sin is trivial compared to our sin against God? Yeah. And so this should not be among Christians. Oh, I will say there are times when we may have unforgiveness in our hearts. But that is not the pattern of our life as believers. And so, beloved, may the warning of this passage convict or challenge you to be forgiving. As one writer said, forgiveness not shown is forgiveness not known. Let me repeat that. Forgiveness not shown is forgiveness not known. Yes, forgiveness is characteristic of true believers. Why? Because we've been forgiven much. That's why. And so I pray that whoever and wherever you're at in your heart before God, that he will help you to turn to him and be faithful. Most of you know, or have heard of anyway, Corey Tim Boom and her sister. I want to share with you just this little account that happened in Corey's life. Her and her sister Betsy were arrested for concealing Jews and went to a German concentration camp. Betsy died a slow and terrible death as a result of cruel treatment. Then in 1947, Corey spoke about God's forgiveness to a church in Munich. Afterward, a man sought her out. She recognized him as one of the guards who had mistreated her and Betsy. 
He told her that he had become a Christian and with extended hand, he asked for her forgiveness. Corey struggled with her feelings, but she recalled the words of Jesus in Matthew 6 and verse 15, the very text I read to you earlier. She knew she had to forgive. She silently prayed, Jesus, help me, and thrust her hand into the hand of her former tormentor. Praise be to God. That's the work of the gospel having its way in our hearts and lives. We just considered this morning three simple reasons to be ready to forgive because, number one, you've been forgiven much. Number two, because other sins are trivial compared to your sin against God. And three, because God judges those who do not forgive. Aren't those three solid reasons to be ready to forgive, huh? Yeah, they come right out of the text. This is what Jesus was trying to convey to Peter, who thought, oh my, if I forgive a person up to seven times, that would be good. No, Jesus is saying here, it's limitless because you've been forgiven much. As I said before, I trust that God through His Spirit will bring these reasons to your mind as needed. You will need them because there are times when our flesh is in control. But by God's grace, because you know God, His Spirit will remind you through His Word of these three truths, these three reasons, and help you to act in a way that pleases Him. I trust that to be so for the glory of God, just as God did with Corey Timboon. He reminded her of truth in His Word. May God do that in your heart. As you relate with friends, people you work with, family, in the home with your spouse, yeah. May God help you for His glory. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word this morning. And it's good to walk through this passage of Scripture and to see what You had to say, O oh God, about forgiveness. Thank You, O oh God, for forgiving us. It was huge. There is no way we could pay back our sin debt. We're thankful for Jesus Christ this morning who suffered your wrath and satisfied your wrath so that we might be cleansed and forgiven. Thank you. Help us to be mindful every day that we've been forgiven much. Help us to love you more. And as a result, to love others who do sin against us. But their sin is trivial compared to our sin against you, O oh God. And help us to be mindful that when we don't forgive, or not ready to forgive, that God, you do judge. So put these reasons, these truths upon our hearts and help us to follow you again for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.